for that. I'm going to ask you to go in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, Nehemiah is a little bit difficult to find sometimes uh, in your Bible, but if you find the Chronicles, just keep going and you'll find Ezra, and right after Ezra, the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. This Vision Sunday, uh, as we uh, celebrate our Expand Conference this week, We've been talking about the question, what if? What if you believe God? Jesus said, have I not told you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And this question is an important one for us this morning as a church, as well as individual members of the body of Christ. I want to invite all of you to take uh, seriously and take to heart the grave and great responsibility which we have as a church to be a, a lighthouse and a beacon of hope to our community and to our city. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it's going to be preached at all, will be preached by the church. It won't be preached by the politicians or the educators. It will be preached by the church. It will be preached by us, by our life and by our witness. And so this morning, I want to ask the question, what if you left your comfort zone? Now, would you read with me Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekliah. Now, it happened in the month of Shislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, my brother, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there is in the province who survived the captivity. They are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the visitation of the Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would speak to us by your word. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God and that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might hear the word and put it into action in their life. We ask this in Jesus' name and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Every great moment, every great invention, every life-saving medical discovery has been the result of somebody asking a question. What if? What if we did this or that or the other? What if we tried something new or something different? Probably every great moment in your life is a result of what if. Maybe uh, you said years ago, what if I asked that girl to marry me? And now 50 years have passed of marriage. Or maybe you said, what if I say yes to that young man that's asking for my hand in marriage? And now uh, years have passed of happy marriage and family. The result of the question, what if, opens us to many possibilities. 
In 1776, the founding fathers of our nation asked the question, what if we declare independence from Great Britain? In the 1800s, 1896, Orville and Wilbur Wright asked the question, what if we can create a, a, an airplane, a, a vessel that man can fly in? In the 1960s, President Kennedy asked the Congress to put a man on the moon, a great uh, response to the question, what if we explore space and the world beyond? In the 1930s, here in Bee County, a body of believers came together and they asked the question, what if we plant a church in Bee County? And the result was the church that you and I are a part of this morning. Aren't you glad that somebody asked that question? That somebody responded in faith in a moment of opportunity to those simple words, what if? The life of the, of the uh, man of God that we speak about this morning, of Nehemiah, is a life characterized by a similar question. Nehemiah was a man of great influence in the Persian Empire. He was a Jew who had risen to a position of influence with the king of Persia to such an extent that he was the cupbearer of the king. He was the king's closest associate and advisor, a man in whom the king had placed a great deal of uh, responsibility and honor. And although he was a Jew, he had risen uh, in the ranks and he had become someone to be admired, someone to be respected. His influence made him very comfortable, and his success offered him a great deal of effortless living. And he had no reason to rock the boat, no reason to upset the apple cart as it were. Things in his life were good. They were comfortable. He was at a place of tranquility and a place of peace. But then he received news that in his homeland, the capital city of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, was in ruins. This was the result of the great exile that had occurred over 70 years before, in which uh, the nation of Israel had lost its homeland and the city walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed and its, its gates had been burned with fire. This city where God had said that he would cause his name to dwell had now become a laughingstock and a reproach among the Persian Empire. And the Bible says that he asked some men who had been there recently, and he said, what is the state of Jerusalem, and what is the state of my homeland? And he got the following news. They said to him that the people uh, that survived the exile are back in the province, and they are in great trouble and distress. And the wall of Jerusalem is torn down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And I think this morning, if we were to ask that question, what is the spiritual condition of America? What is the spiritual condition of our world? And, and especially, and specifically, what is the spiritual condition of Beville? We would have to say the same thing. We would have to see that people are in great spiritual poverty and disgrace, walking without God and without hope for their life, without an eternal salvation for their soul. 
we would have to say that the walls of our nation and the walls of our cities have been destroyed. The walls of divine protection have been torn down. And they have been uh, that we because we have expelled God. We've expelled God from our government and expelled God from our educational institutions. And we have replaced him with the demonic doctrines of humanism. We would have to say that the gates that have protected the family and have protected our culture have been torn down by immorality and impurity. And the walls of our, and the gates of our city are in ruins. And so if we look at the spiritual condition, we must be like Nehemiah and have to respond to this situation. Nehemiah had a few choices of how to respond. As I have said, he was comfortable. He was in a place of affluence and a place of influence. He had no reason to upset anything, no reason to get up and, and get uncomfortable. Just like when you have sat in your couch and you have a big bowl of popcorn and uh, a big big gulp of Dr. Pepper and you're sitting there with your chicken wings just within reach and the game is on and you have no reason to get up. That's how Nehemiah was. He was seated in comfort and in ease. He was seated in, uh, in a place that, that was easy to enjoy and to live with. And so when he hears the bad news about Jerusalem, he has a choice. How is he going to respond to this crisis? How is he going to respond to this need? Well, one of the options was that Nehemiah could have responded with silence. He could have said nothing. He could have played a deaf ear to the need of the moment. After all, Jerusalem had been in this, in, in this state for a long time. He could have said, it's not my problem. It's not my business. He could have just been quiet about it. He had the option of doing and saying nothing. That's an option that you and I have this morning. When we think about the need of our day, when we think about the people in our city that need to hear the gospel, when we think about the lives of families that are being ruined by drug addiction and alcoholism and pornography and every form of demonic oppression, when we think about the lives of people that are being destroyed by the enemy, we have the option of being quiet. We have the option of saying nothing. I read about last year in the nation of India a, a story that gripped the headlines about a woman that was raped in broad daylight in the streets and surrounded by many people, but no one said anything. What a crime for a woman to be so assaulted in, in public, no less, in broad daylight and with many witnesses, and yet there was a silence among the people. Martin Luther King said this of the civil rights era. He said, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transitions was not the, the strident clamor of bad people, but the appalling silence of good people. So many times it's just easier to be silent, to say nothing, even in the face of great need. In the 1930s and 40s, over 6 million Jews and millions of other uh, marginalized cultures were slaughtered by the Nazi regime 
while most of Germans said nothing in Germany, becoming part of the shameful conspiracy of silence. The Bible talks about what it's like when the church is silent. When the church says nothing in response to the needs of its day. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 10 says, The watchmen are blind and they say nothing. They have become like mute dogs that do not bark, lying down and loving to slumber. Let me ask you a question this morning. What good is a dog that you feed and care for that doesn't so much as bark when the enemy comes? If you're going to have a, a dog around, you want him at least to say something when there is trouble in the area, when there's trouble around. Well, God says, look, when my people say nothing, they are like a dog that doesn't bark. They allow the enemy to come in and reign without even so much as a word. But you see, friends, silence is not an option then for the church of God. Silence is not an option for you and I. Because the Bible says that if our message is hidden, it is hidden from those who are perishing. It is hidden from those who are lost and whose souls are being carried off into eternal destruction. The prophet Jeremiah tried to be quiet. He was an Old Testament prophet who was constantly being afflicted because of the message that he proclaimed. And in the 20th chapter of his prophecy, Jeremiah said, I am going to be quiet. Look at what he said. He said, I will not remember the Lord or speak any longer in his name. Oh, those of you who are like me and you are a preacher, you know how funny that is. Because many times maybe it's crossed our mind to say, you know what? I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to proclaim the good news of the gospel anymore. He said, I'm not going to even remember God or speak any longer in his name. But then he said, but then my heart became like a burning fire. And it felt like a fire shut up in my bones until I was weary from holding it in. And I could not endure it. Jeremiah had to proclaim the word of God. He had to let that message of hope come forth from his spirit. He couldn't keep it quiet. When I was seven years old, this is now, this year will be 30 years ago. My father was driving uh, on Sunday morning to preach in a church where he was holding a revival. And uh, that, that Friday afternoon, the deacons had taken him out to lunch and had told him all of the terrible things that they had to say about the pastor. And then on Saturday, the pastor took him out to eat. And, and they told, the pastor told him all the terrible things about the deacons. And there was a church fight going on in the midst of all of this. And my dad didn't know what he was going to do or what he was going to preach that morning. Perhaps he was just joking as we drove to church that morning. But he said to me, Isaac, you're going to preach this morning. And so I got ready and began to prepare my sermon. And I began to prepare my message. While the service went through, the worship began. And then he came to the pulpit. And my father said, open your Bibles to such and such a text. And I knew as a child that something was wrong because I was supposed to preach. And uh, so I went and I pulled on my dad's coattail. And I said, Dad, I'm supposed to preach. And I don't know what came into him that morning, but he passed me the microphone. And at seven years old, I preached 
to that church the first time in the pulpit, and I haven't shut up since. And uh, can I tell you that that morning, God brought deliverance to that church. Why? Because the little boy said, I have to preach. I have to proclaim what I know. Is there anybody in here this morning that says, I have to tell somebody of what I know and what God has done in my life, what God has done in my family? Friends, this is too good to keep to yourself. You and I have the option of being quiet, but we can't be quiet. We can't be quiet in the face of an enemy that is destroying without a single flinch of the eye. You and I must be ready to respond. Now, there's another response that Nehemiah could have had. He could have had the response of indifference. He could have said, so what? It's not my problem. Jerusalem is a thousand miles away. What does it have to do with me? It's not my mess. It's not my situation. Maybe there might be a temptation in the hearts of some in the world today and in the church to have a response or an attitude of indifference toward God and toward the lost. You might say, Pastor, I, I don't have time to worry about other people. I, I don't have time to feed other people. I'm hungry myself. I don't have time to help the needy. I'm in need myself. Someone might say, Pastor, it's better if we don't bother with those things. It's better if we just stick to, stick to easy church. Just come in and go out and leave the way we came. Friend, friend you and I live in a community that is progressively ranking higher in homicide and in drug use. And it has become commonplace among our young people and young adults. We have a problem in our day, and you and I cannot sit quietly and be indifferent in a day of such need. Every single day in the world, 150,000 people die, and most of them enter into an eternity without God and without hope. You and I cannot afford to be indifferent. You and I cannot sit and be comfortable in a world that is in need of the gospel light. God will not tolerate indifference from his church. He said to the church in the book of Revelation, he said to them, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God is not looking for a lukewarm church with a lukewarm reaction to the spiritual need of our day. He is looking for a zealous church, a passionate church, a church whose heart is set on fire for the mission of God and for the glory of God in their generation. In the Bible, when you read about passion, you read this word zeal. It's the word in the Bible that best describes what we would call passion. And this is what the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who would be zealous for good deeds. Listen to that. Jesus died on the cross, according to the Apostle Paul, to redeem a people, not just so we wouldn't go to hell, but so that you and I would be passionate about doing good in our world, so that we would be zealous for doing good deeds. The Bible talks about Jesus. What kind of, of attitude did Jesus have? 
The Bible said that when Jesus was on the earth, they said of him, the zeal for the house of God consumes him. Oh, church, that is my prayer for you. I pray for you that a zeal for the house of God would consume you, that you would become passionate for being in the house of God and in the presence of God, that you would not have a lukewarm and indifferent reaction to the presence of God, but that there would be within your heart a burning and yearning desire to say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be empowered by you. The scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, let him who leads do so with zeal and do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. God wants the church. He wants every one of us to be a boiling hot pot of fervent passion for the glory of God. On, on some occasions, if I go into a restaurant, I ask for a caldo de pollo. You guys know all about that, right? A chicken soup. Sometimes they bring it to me, and it's kind of cold, and it, it's lukewarm, and there's nothing tasty about that. And so it is that many times our lives are lukewarm toward God and they are tasteless to the world. You and I must be on fire for God, passionate for what God is doing and saying in our day. Some might say, Pastor, I can't pray for someone else's kids. My own kids are lost. I can't worry about feeding someone else. I'm trying to put food on my own table. Yes, friend, but let me put this thought in your mind. If you, be, if you get busy doing God's business, God will take care of your business. Say amen, somebody. If you get busy doing God's work, God will go to work for you. He'll make sure that your house is taken care of. We mustn't get so comfortable with our problem that we forget to serve the Lord and to serve others. The scripture tells us, trust in the Lord and do good. What does that mean? That means when you have a problem, trust in God and serve somebody else. When you have a need in your life, trust in God and serve somebody. You say, Pastor, that's too hard. I'd rather focus on my problem. I'd rather focus on my difficulty. No, friend, God's instruction for you. If you want to get out and you want to get out of discouragement and depression, and if you're being pushed back by the enemy, trust in God and serve somebody. Because when you serve somebody, you will find God moving on your behalf. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 18. He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who tends the master's business will be honored. It's unbelief in our hearts that would say about God, Lord, if I serve you, I'm going to lose my family. If I serve you, I'm going to lose money. If I serve you, I'm going to lose my business. If I serve you, I'm going to lose my time. Friend, let's give God more credit than that. David said, I have been young and now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. If you put God first, God will see to it that all of the needs and affairs of your life are taken care of. We must shake off any tendency to be indifferent and we must get in the fight. We must set our hand to the plow and not look back. 
Because God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. God will see to it that your needs are met and that the desires of your heart are fulfilled as you walk with him. Listen, friends, no one said it would be easy. No one said it would be a walk in the park. In fact, the Christian life is war. The Christian life is hard. It is a war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Say amen, somebody. This war gets messy sometimes. This war gets hard sometimes. This war is downright scary sometimes. This war will cost you sometimes. But guess what? You are on the winning side. Victory belongs to you as a child of God. So pick up your head. Square your shoulders. Grit your teeth. Find a target and go after it in the name of Jesus because God is with you and God is in you. And if God before you, then who can be against you? This morning, God is calling us to action. He's calling us to respond. Nehemiah could have been quiet. He could have been silent. He could have said, so what? Instead, he said, what if? What if God wants me to rebuild the wall? What if God wants to use me to solve this problem? What if God put me at the, at the right hand of the king of Persia so that I would be the instrument by which I might rebuild the city of Jerusalem? Friend, would you put that, that sentence or that question in your mouth this morning? What if God has put you in that job and that business so that you can be salt and light? What if God has put you in that family so that you can lead them to Christ? What if God has put you in that neighborhood so that you can be a source of hope and of peace for the world? Come on, somebody. What if God could use you? What if you left your comfort zone and went and did something for God that you never dreamed you would be able to do before? Nehemiah turned his what if into a prayer. Why? Because he knew that God answers prayer. He said uh, he understood that God was a God who was sensible to the cry of his children. He must have known that if God's people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray, that he would hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. He must have known what the words of the prophet Jeremiah were when he said, call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. He began to pray. He began to go before God with passion for an answer to the solution. And then he got up from praying and he went to work. He went into action. He took a step of faith and said, what if I go and, and I'm bold before God and bold before the king. The scripture says that Nehemiah came into the king's presence. And while he was doing his daily labor and he was doing his work with the king, the king said, Nehemiah, what is this sad face you have? Why are you so downcast? And he said, well, king, how can I be happy when the city of my fathers is in ruins? The place of the God I worship is in ruins. How can I be happy about that? And the king said, what do you want me to do about it? 
Nehemiah began to unfold before him the plan that God had put on his heart. Can I tell you, friends, Nehemiah didn't go into the king's chamber that day empty-handed. He went with the cup. He was the cupbearer of the king. That cup of wine is an Old Testament type of the blood of Jesus. That you and I, when we walk into the presence of God, we don't walk in on our own might or merit, but we walk into the virtue and influence of the blood of Jesus. And it is that blood that gives us access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is that blood that gives us the answer to the prayers that you and I may have. He came into the king's presence with that cup of his confidence. This morning, you and I must come into the presence of our king with the confidence that the blood of Jesus has guaranteed us the answer to our prayers. That the blood of Jesus has guaranteed us the answer for our day. You and I have to respond somehow. Today is a day for decision. Today is a day to say, what if? What if I left my comfort zone? What if I went and did what God was saying to my heart? What if I responded to the call of God on my life? Several years ago, it was about 1996, a young lady from this church came to my home church in Schultz, Texas, just a few miles from here. And she spoke about missions and a missions trip she had been on with Pastor Ramos. Uh, that young lady is uh, Sister Stephanie Martinez. And as she spoke about missions, that night I went home and I said, what if, what if I go to the nations? And now I stand before you six continents and 30 countries later because I answered that call to say to God, God, if you can use anybody, will you use me? If you can use anybody in Beeville, will you use us, God? We want to be that church that says, Lord, we are yours to use. We are use, yours to employ for your kingdom's purpose. I'm glad this morning that 2,000 years ago, when the world was lost without hope and without God, without a Savior and without a gospel, that Jesus did not have an attitude of silence. That he didn't just give a deaf ear to the cry of man. I'm glad that Jesus did not have a so what attitude. And say about mankind, so what if they perish? That's their problem. But I'm glad that he had this in his mind. What if I go and die for them? What if I go and give my life as a ransom for their sins. And friends, Jesus came to the earth and he lived a sinless and perfect life. He died upon a cruel criminal's cross, a cross that he did not deserve. But the righteous man of God became sin, though that you and I, who were sinners, might become righteous. He gave his life as a ransom for sinners. And on that cross, he offered to you a plan of hope and salvation, which if you will say yes to God, you can have eternal life and life uh, and, and life ever after. My friend, he died on that cross. They laid him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from that grave with power and with great glory. And this morning he is seated at the right hand of the majesty of God on high. 
And he is calling out to you. He's calling out to your heart, to your soul. And he's saying, today, are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you disappointed? Have you failed? Is your life a fractured mess? Do you feel like there is no hope? Do you feel as though there is no way out? Today, Jesus says to you, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, come unto me, I will heal your broken heart. I will save you from your sin. I will deliver you from your addiction and your bondage. I will take that wound of your past and make it into a thing you will not remember any longer, but with joy. I will take that brokenness and make it a masterpiece of my glory and for my praise. Today, Jesus Christ stands ready and he says, what if you say yes to me? What if you give me your life? What if you give me control of your heart? What if you say yes to Christ this morning? You say, Pastor Isaac, I don't know if God will take me. I don't know if God will receive me. Friend, he's never turned one away. The Bible said that whoever comes unto him, he will under no circumstances turn them away. And this morning, I don't want to go through this service without letting you know that there is a God who cares, a God who loves, and a God who loves so much that he sent his son to die for you. And if you will receive him by faith into your heart, that you can begin a new life in him this very morning. And to the body of Christ, I challenge you this morning. What if we pray like we are on fire for God? What if we come into the house of worship with a passion for the presence of God? What if we live as though all of Beville's eternal destiny depends upon the work that we do and the message that we preach? Friend, you and I must live and work for Christ in our day and in our generation because this is the only opportunity that we have. If Beville is to hear the gospel, it must come from the church. If Beville is to be revived, it will begin with the church. We cannot be quiet. We cannot be indifferent. We must say, Lord, use me. Use me. In my career, in my work, use me. Use me to be a light and a witness that a dark world might know that there is